as Pastor Rich Bennett, and um, as I was recognized earlier, uh, the pastor of Care and Fellowship here, and uh, I'm in the pulpit this morning because Jeff sent Pastor Jeff sent me a text on Friday morning saying I am not feeling well, and uh, so would you be willing to preach? And uh, and then he told me I would really like you to continue the series. So here are some of my notes. But uh, so um, I've done the best to take some of his notes, but also um, God has provided me with. Um, uh, a word to share with you this morning as we continue to work through um, the Ten Commandments. But as we join to get before we join together in a time of prayer, I do want to just say a word about baptisms that are coming up in two weeks. I don't know about you, but I rem for those of you who've been baptized, I remember the day that I was baptized. It was uh, Palm Sunday of, of seventh grade, and at that point, I don't fully really. I did not really fully realize what I was doing or, or the, the fullness of all of its significance. Um, but it but did become a pivotal point because I believe that it launched what then happened uh, five year, four or five years later when I was a junior in high school uh, in which that's when I received my call into ministry. Um, and I still kind of debated back and forth as I moved into my adult years and um, had the chance at one point to go to Israel and at that time had a chance to get baptized in the Jordan River. And I clearly felt God said to me, no, because I did not want anything at that moment to take away from the baptism I had at the age of 13 um, or 12. Baptism is a wonderful expression of our public profession in Jesus Christ. And I believe that just as God met Jesus in the waters of baptism, that it's an opportunity for us to meet Christ. Is it necessary for salvation? No. And yet I believe it is, a, it is that public expression in which God invites us to meet us into the waters of baptism. So if you've given your life to Christ and never been baptized, I want you to prayerfully consider, God, is this the time you'd like me to be baptized, to publicly profess my faith through the significance and the meaning of, the, of, of baptism. And maybe for you, maybe for some of you, it's really about accepting Christ in your life for the very first time, and you're ready to give your life over to him. If you fit into either of those categories, please speak to one of the, the pastoral staff, Pastor Dave, myself, or any of the other pastoral staff, and we'll love to get you connected to our time of baptism celebration in two weeks. For those of you who are ladies, I do want, since I'm up here, I do want to take the opportunity that my wife is speaking tomorrow night at the Reflections. So I don't know if you have to buy a ticket, I don't know, but just come and hear my wife. Um, she always has wisdom to speak, and um, she reminds me of that regularly, but no, she... she <laughs> Um, um, but yeah so you will be, women you will be blessed tomorrow night as a matter of fact I've decided I've signed up for security just to make sure I hear what she says and she says everything good about me but um, let's, let's join together in a time of prayer and as we do I want us to think about these words from Psalm 16 you make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy 
in your presence. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we are your children, that Christ is our Savior and our Lord, and that we have been given the blessing of this wonderful relationship with you. Father, we thank you that you have given to us through Christ this path of life. And we confess to you, Lord, that we are times stray from that path, and yet, like the good shepherd Jesus is, he brings us back to that path. Father, for, every, for anyone who is wandering today from that path of life that you've established, Lord, I pray that they will hear the shepherd's voice calling them back to that path. Father, for those who are on that path, may they just enjoy following, hearing your voice. Father, we all know that there are family friends, co-workers, classmates, neighbors that are not, that don't know the path of life through Christ. And so in these moments, Lord, we just want to lift them up to you. Father, we, we also lift up this morning and ask your healing presence to be with Pastor Jeff. Restore him to the fullness of health. We pray for David Honey, who's had a cardiac arrest on Friday and is in the hospital, and we pray wisdom for the doctors and your healing spirit to be upon him. We pray for Scott Amon who broke his foot and ask that your healing spirit would be with him. And many others who are dealing with physical things in the midst of their lives, Lord, we lift them up to you. And Father, we pray for those that are, are in this season of grief. We think of um, Shirley Tracy. We think of Marion Sturgeon. We think of, of the... Uh, Michelle Amond and her family and the loss of her mom, Sarah. We think of um, Sarah's Falkenstein's family over the loss of Uncle Ray. We think of Doreen Medeer and her family and, and, um, and the homecoming of her mom. And Father, there are probably others. Father, right now their path of life is is filled with grief would you just walk them through that and father as we turn our attention to your precious and holy word father we ask that you'd open up our hearts and our lives not only to hear your word but to receive your word and may we live by your word father we ask all these things in jesus name amen 
So I invite you to stand as we return back to Exodus chapter 20, and this time we'll read verses 1 through 11 and focus our attention on the fourth commandment for today. And God spoke all these words, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an image in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth, beneath or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the parents to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male, nor your female servant, nor your animals, nor any foreigner residing in your towns. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. May God bless us in the understanding of his precious word for our lives this morning. You may be seated. <clears throat> Pastor Jeff is leading us through a study of the Ten Commandments in a series that he's called Words to Live By. It is vital for us to note that while these commandments were written to the children of Israel, Jesus declared that he had come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Therefore, they still contain important lessons and words of wisdom for us today. One of the things that we've noticed as we have progressed through these 10 words is how we enter into a deeper form of worship with God, the one who has given us his name. We are a people of his name. And as a people who claim the name of Christ as Christians, we are not to misuse that name. So the first commandment teaches us to honor God by putting him first. The second commandment teaches us to honor him with our thoughts, that we should never think of God as, as being small in any way. And the third commandment teaches us to honor God with our lips, that we do not misuse his name. And now we come to the fourth commandment that teaches us to honor God with our time. For six, in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them, but on the seventh day, he rested. That is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. As we come to this fourth commandment, we are surprised that we find a gift. We find an act of blessing. We find a moment of grace 
God says you can rest. And it is important for us to remember right off the bat that the word Sabbath literally means rest. But it's more than simply an absence of work or an absence of activity. Because Sabbath is rest with God. So let me ask you a question. I'm looking out at you this morning. Some of you are in school. Some of you are full-time parents. Some of you work part-time. Some of you work 40 hours a week. Some of you may work two jobs. Some of you are behind a desk. Some of you are doing physical labor and on your feet all day. Some of you are working 50 to 60 hours a week. Some of you are even retired. But let me ask you a question. How many of you feel like you get enough sleep each night? Not many hands. How many of you would like to get more sleep? A lot more hands. Now, let me ask you a slightly different question. How many feel they get enough rest in each week? Raise your hand. How many of you would like more rest in your week? A lot more hands. Do you notice something's out of balance? Several months ago, Elizabeth and I purchased a new bed. It is a sleep number bed, and one of the reasons we got it is because Elizabeth likes her mattress so much softer than on mine. And so we can control exactly how firm or how soft our side of the bed is. This is especially important because about 20 years ago, I had bought a regular queen-size mattress, but I bought it to my liking. Mistake number one. <laughs> the first night, while I slept very well on this new mattress, Elizabeth had dreams of being in the remotest parts of India, trying to sleep on a hard dirt floor. I knew I was in trouble. But what's amazing about this bed that we now have is that it can, it'll actually tell me how many hours of restful sleep I have and how many hours or minutes of restlessness I have in the midst of my sleep. And I, it has shocked me to know how restless I can be at night and how little restful sleep I actually get. God created us in his image. He created us in his image to work in all of its fullness, but also to rest and to sleep. Our bodies were created with the need to rest and sleep. God rested on the seventh day, not because he was tired and he needed to rest, Yet God rested because all that he had done was good and he wanted to step back and to acknowledge it and he knew that his children would need rest. So the first thing that we need to remember today is that Sabbath rest is a gift from God. 
And if it's a gift from God, I, the question that I have for you is this. What are you doing with that gift? Are you using that gift of, that, that grace gift of rest? Are you enjoying it? Are you neglecting it? Are you ignoring the gift that God has given you? Work and rest are both gifts. Sometimes that work can be defined by 40 hours a week. Sometimes it's training and schooling. Sometimes it's volunteering and helping. Work is good. But rest is too. Let's take a closer work, a closer look this morning at the gift that God has blessed us with. Exodus 20, 11 says, not only did God bless us with the rest, but he set it apart, or as in some translations, he sanctified it and made it holy. Now, one of the important things that I want you to understand this morning is the root word for the Hebrew word sanctify literally means to betroth, as in marriage. It's the concept of choosing to commit your whole self, to honor that commitment regardless of the circumstances. Now think about that for a moment. God has set Sabbath apart in the same manner that he has set marriage apart. In the same way that he has sanctified marriage, he has sanctified the Sabbath. And just as we speak of holy matrimony, we ought to speak of Sabbath as holy. As I was preparing for this message today, as I learned about it on Friday morning, I went to a book that I had read a number of years ago. It's a book called The Rest of God by Mark Buchanan. And in the book, he writes these words. Sabbath is both a day and an attitude to nurture stillness. Sabbath imparts the rest of God, actual physical, mental, spiritual rest, but also the rest of God, the things of God's nature and presence that we miss in our busyness. Simply put, without rest, we miss the rest of God. If Sabbath is just a day, you will fall into the trap of legalism and it will never become the restorative and transforming renewal that God intended it to be. So let us this morning consider what it means to cultivate that Sabbath attitude. And consider this for a moment. By Jesus' time, there were 1,521 things that a person could not do on the Sabbath, according to the Jerusalem Talmud that had 64 pages and the Babylonian Talmud that had 156 pages of specific rules. 
created by, by the rabbis. It isn't surprising that many of them took on the equality of the absurd. For instance, a person couldn't gargle with vinegar on the Sabbath, but he could use his toothbrush dipped in vinegar. A radish could be dipped in salt, but on the Sabbath it could never be left in too long lest it become a pickle. No wonder the enemies of Jesus looked to the Sabbath laws to so often try to trap him. But Jesus came to free us from the laws of the Sabbath, but he did not come to free us from the grace of Sabbath. Walter Brueggemann, a well-known American Old Testament professor and theologian, whom I've had the opportunity to read several of his books, wrote this about Sabbath. Sabbath is not simply the pause that refreshes. It's the pause that transforms. I want you to think for a moment about the culture of work in, in today. Tim Keller, in a message that he had put together, shares four realities of the world that we live in. The first reality is we live in a day and age of job insecurity. Long gone are the days of many people working for the same company for their entire career. And many of us have faced that reality. The 40-hour week is virtually gone for many, either because the money demands that they put in more hours or they need to work more than one job just to make ends meet. Technology has changed our culture. In the 1960s, Congress was actually presented with the, with, with the need to come up with a plan because it was anticipated that technology will reduce the average person's work week to 15 hours. In fact, the opposite has happened. In the 70s and earlier, when a family went on vacation, they truly went on vacation. They disconnected themselves from work. But now with, work, with, with technology, work often comes with us as we take our phones, our computers, our tablets, everywhere we go. It's hard to escape. And the fourth thing that Tim Keller points out I thought was fascinating. Before World War II, the meaning of one's life was traditionally defined through family. Since World War II, we have become the first culture that attains value and meaning through what we want to be and by attaining it. In other words, by our work. These cultural realities have ingrained in our lives and it will require a change of our mindset, a transformation of our hearts if we're going to express the kingdom of God that God desires us to be to the world around us. 
Therefore, Paul says, as he wrote in Romans, be transformed by the renewing of your minds. And I believe that when it comes to the Sabbath, it becomes, it begins with us cultivating a Sabbath heart. We need to allow the Holy Spirit that is dwelling within us to change our minds about the importance and the vitality of Sabbath rest. And to do that, I want to turn to a familiar experience in Jesus' life. I want to take you to Luke's Gospel in the 10th chapter. It's the story of Mary and Martha. Beginning in the 38th verse, it says, As Jesus and the disciples continued on their journey, they came to a village where a woman welcomed Jesus into her home. Her name was Martha, and she had a sister named Mary. Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation he shared. But Martha became exasperated with finishing the numerous household chores in preparation for her guests. So she interrupted Jesus and said, Lord, don't you think it's unfair that my sister left me to do all the work by myself? You should tell her to get up and help me. And the Lord answered her, Martha, my beloved Martha, why are you so upset and troubled? Pulled away by the many distractions. Mary has discovered the one thing most important by choosing to sit at my feet. She is undistracted, and I won't take that privilege from her. How do we create a Sabbath heart? It begins by sitting at the feet of Jesus. While Martha was becoming exasperated, anxious, upset, troubled, by all that had to be done in preparation for the guests, Luke says Mary sat down attentively before the master, absorbing every revelation that he had shared. Many of you know, like I do, that all our work and all our busyness without rest will inevitably lead to exasperation, anxiety, anger, and even a troubled spirit. Ask those that are closest to us when we start acting that way. And I believe that it's fair to say that Martha valued, found value in her work and in her busyness. And if we work long hours, and if we're running our children around, and if we keep serving others, and if we keep busy in God's things, do you realize what is happening? We are doing all those things because we need to find worth and value in those things. But we're not finding them in Jesus. That was Martha's struggle. Martha's identity was wrapped up in what she did and not in who she was. A child of God. Listen to the words of Moses in Deuteronomy, the fifth chapter. Observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. 
as the Lord your God has commanded you. Remember that you were once slaves in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out with his strong hand and powerful arm. That is why the Lord your God has commanded you to rest on the Sabbath day. Let's face it, many in our culture and even within the church have become slaves to our busyness. And the Israelites, while they were called to remember how God brought them out of slavery, we need to remind ourselves that Jesus finished it all for us on the cross. Our busyness doesn't earn us anything with God. That's why Jesus said Mary has discovered the most important thing by choosing to sit at my feet. And many of us need to learn that lesson. The most important thing we can do is to choose to sit at the feet of Jesus. And I will confess to you today that I needed to hear those words. And maybe it's the reason why I'm preaching these words today. Because as I've looked back over the past few months, I know I've allowed work, busyness, stuff to overtake my life in such a way that I have spent less and less time sitting at the feet of Jesus. And I need to return to that place. But what does sitting at the feet of Jesus practically look like? It can be quiet times in the morning or quiet times in the evening. It could be sitting on the couch. It could be sitting on your deck. But I also believe it can be other things. Do you know where one of the places where I like to find rest? It's actually the golf course. Now I hear the chuckles, and I'm not making an excuse to go play golf. But my wife often asks me, so you went with three or four guys, what did you talk about for two, or three, two to four hours? And I offer her to say, not really much. Because while I am away from my phone, while I am in God's nature, and I often now even put headphones on so that I'm listening to worship music, a lot of those times are just spending it with God and swinging a club. It's rest for me with Jesus. I asked Elizabeth, I said, you know, where do you find your rest? And she said, walking the dog, which can be up to three miles. Why? Because nobody wants to walk with her that long. <laughs> or she says, it's in the garden with all my flowers. I said, why? Because nobody wants to weed with me. Why? Why are the, do those become precious times? Because... She's separated from the busyness of life and she's just and she's there with Jesus. Elizabeth and I cycling for us has become a place of rest for us. We're not trying to win a marathon, but we're out where nobody 
bothers us most of the time. And we're cycling and we're listening to, we're we're either listening to scriptures or we're listening to worship music, but we're resting in Jesus and with Jesus while we're doing those things. It's places where there's little interruption. You know, it could be fishing for you if you're taking Jesus with you. It could be just sitting in a chair or a room. It could be a walk. Wherever it is, is it a space of, of, no, of lack of interruption where you are just with Jesus? We all need to sit at the feet of Jesus. And what's more important is I think we're at a place in our culture and in the church where as parents and grandparents, we need to start taking our children and our grandchildren to our quiet places of rest and teach them how to sit with Jesus too. Do you need to hear this invitation this morning? That Jesus speaks familiar words in Matthew 11. Are you weary, carrying a heavy burden? Come to me and I will refresh your life. What a great word that is. For I am your oasis. Simply join your life with mine. Learn my ways. And you'll discover that I am gentle, humble, easy to please, and you'll find refreshment and rest in me. You know, the problem is, for many of us, we spend more time sitting in front of the TV, in front of our phones, in front of our laptops, in front of our iPads or tablets than we do sitting at the feet of Jesus. But the second lesson for cultivating a Sabbath heart is just as important, and that's doing it in community. The reason Mary was running around and doing everything was that the guests were coming or the guests were there. Martha had a pretty good reason for doing what she was doing, and she could easily justify it. And how often do we justify the schedules and routines that we keep? The fact of the matter is what what was going to take place in Martha's home was a communal gathering at Jesus' feet. Isn't that what Sunday morning is supposed to be about? It's a communal gathering in the presence of Jesus. It's the church sitting at the feet of Christ, worshiping the Heavenly Father, giving thanks for the blessings of the week gone by, thanking God for all that he is and all that Jesus is, and looking for a word of encouragement for our save, from our Savior and our Lord. It's not only finding rest in God, but together finding the rest of God. The early Christians did not, did not worship on Saturday because they worshiped on the first day of the week in order to celebrate Christ's resurrection. 
That was now the highlight of the new covenant, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead on the first day of the week. This became known as the Lord's Day. The church established that day on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. The first day of the week, Acts 20 verse 7 says, On the first day of the week, early Christians gathered together to break bread. 1 Corinthians 16.2 says the early Christians were to take a collection on the first day of the week. Revelation 1.10, John said, I was in the spirit of the Lord's day, the day that Jesus rose from the grave. Second century writers, Ignatius and Justin Meyer, Martyr, testify that Christians observed the first day of the week for worship. And unfortunately, for the church in America and throughout Western culture, we have sacrificed the Lord's day on an altar of worldly values and worldly schedules. To the point that we have gone from the Lord's day the Lord's morning and now for many of us it's the Lord's hour but that isn't even every week for some how is Sabbath rest holy if we only give it an hour how can it be sanctified how can it be a moment of commitment and betrothal to God if it's only an hour. For those of you who are married, if you said to your spouse, I can only give you an hour, I don't know, maybe that's more than you're giving. Would they truly be blessed by that? famous American preacher Dwight L. Moody and so this was some time ago said this show me a nation that has given up the Sabbath and I will show you a nation that has got the seed of decay wow what are we teaching our children and our grandchildren So I leave you with these three questions. Question number one. Is your attitude right now about Sabbath rest a holy one? Is it sanctified? Number two. What is getting in your way of sitting at the feet of Jesus personally and communally. And number three, are you willing for the Lord of Sabbath to transform your ways? Let us pray. Most gracious and heavenly Father, We thank you for your precious and holy word. Even when it sends a sting, 
into our hearts and into our lives. But Father, your word for us today comes from a, a love and a heart that we cannot completely fathom. Father, we thank you that you care so much for us that you don't just simply leave us as we are, but through the power of the Holy Spirit that is at work in us, you want to transform us more and more into your likeness. The likeness of Jesus. And so, Father, help us to wrestle with the Sabbath rest in our lives. Help us to be mindful of what we are teaching our children and our grandchildren in these days about a Sabbath rest that is set apart and holy. And may we, as the church, be that place of rest to a tired and weary world because we know the rest that can only come through Christ our Savior and our Lord. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. Amen.